All right. Um, we'll kind of get started now. We'll keep keep working if you're not quite done yet. Um, so happy Memorial Day, everyone. Or sorry, Labor Day. I was getting mixed up. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, the beer we just tried and talk about the, the process of just kind of decomposing a beer without having a, a preconceived style in mind beforehand. Um, we'll do the true and false questions. We're going to cover wa- water. We're going to cover um, yeast as well. We're going to do a whole bunch of, uh, or a few off flavors, kind of mostly revolving around fermentation profiles. Um, and then take taste through a, a few different sets of families that will cover a bit of different kind of uh, yeast profiles in particular. So we got Czech lager, uh, pale bitter European beer, German wheat beers, and then pale American um, pale. So um, we'll start off by discussing uh, the, the whole the senseless um, uh, sorry the stylus <laughs> the senseless tasting. Um, so one of the one of the one of the toughest things to do as a judge is to just be someone here throws throws you a beer and says taste this okay um, when we're given a style to start to do our evaluation to it's a lot easier to go all right so I need to start thinking um, malt I need to start thinking this kind of hot profile I need to start thinking this kind of yeast profile um, and as a result of that it kind of cues your mind into certain features that should or should, or should not be in the beer as it is. So you may instantly become more sensitive to if it's going to someone's going to type it's American beer. I'm going to think start thinking pine and hops and all or in, and citrus. Um, but when you actually just kind of stay, take a step back, don't come with a preconceived notion of what a beer should be. It, can, it becomes a bit more nebulous to pick up what's in the beer. Um, so the whole point of this was to make sure that we went through for each of the major areas and had some sort of a comment because this basically would constitute if you had something on each line. A complete score sheet um, that you're covering all of the major areas um, and then kind of get down to the end so what we'll do is we'll go through we'll talk about the, th- the different things that people picked up in the uh, different components we'll talk about what kind of style we may think it was at the end of the beer um, and then we'll talk about how well it actually kind of came up to something like that style okay so um, yeah if you need some more of the beer come up and don't be afraid to grab some um, so what are, what are some descriptors that people got from all uh, on this beer? So it's slightly sweet. Okay. Honey? Okay. Um, in the aroma in particular, I got some toasted uh, bread crust notes, but then you get some of that caramel um, kind of sweetness in the back there. Anyone else? What else? How else would people describe the malt aroma? Little grainy, yeah. Not overly complex. What what did people get for hops in the aroma? I got a little bit of this. There's some hops. Mm-hmm. I would say medium hops. That's a pine. <laughs> water. Um, it's not a firm, firm, firm hoppy aroma for sure. Um, so maybe a little more muddled for me. I it, got sort of juniper bow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that uh, the, the irritant that they release, sort of just forest. Wet and earthy. I guess I get some of the earthy too um, <coughs> as well. There's almost almost pushing it into musty, but yeah, just kind of an earthy note. Very woodsy, I guess. Um, for yeast products, what did people pick up? Any for any little bit of estuary or a little estuary? 
any shorter than that? It was, it's not very distinctive yeast. No. But like, uh, I got a little, just a slight cherry. I just get a little pear. Yeah. Okay, for color, what, you, what color did you guys call this? Bronze copper. Pale amber. Yeah. Nice copper. The thing I think last you got. Under clarity, confirm quick. <laughs> Yours is decidedly clearer than mine. Um, mine changed. Um, head. Well, let's 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 work through all the different aspects of the head on this. Would would people? Well, I still have a head on mine. Um, pretty pretty good retention on it. Light beige or light tan, maybe. What color would you guys characterize the bubbles? Fine until performed a ring of larger larger All right, so moving into the flavor, uh, and this, this took a fairly decent change for me. But what do people get in the malt and the flavor in particular? The sweet tang comes up right up front. Yeah, it's a note of orange even for me. Yeah. Um, uh, toasty as well, just but it, once again, it, that sweetness took took a dominating side of the the malt profile. Any other malt descriptors? Anyone has? I get a little bit like biscuity. Okay. Yep. Now, how the hops emerge in the, the flavor? Resonate for me. Resin. Yeah, yeah, I got that, that same sort of the piney, um, a little bit of uh, uh, orange zest, mm -hmm. fresh orange zest. I still get some of the earthy notes in this as well. Um, any other characters with the yeast? Let's see, maybe just a hint of apple in the finish, maybe in particular. Um, and let's talk about the finish. Well, what 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 sticks on your palate afterwards? Yeah, little tiny note. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe Yeah. Um, and the balance overall is it towards the malt or is it towards the hop? It's weird balance. I think. Sorry. I think it's weird balance. Evenly balanced. Evenly balanced. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> well. Extremely balanced. <laughs> uh, I thought it was a little more to the to the malt for me. And I would have gone towards the house. It's it's right. It's just teetering there. I think in the middle in terms of where the profile came out. Um, the bitterness doesn't linger too long. Doesn't linger too short. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. very nice finish. Um, body. Where would people go with that? Right down the middle, moderate. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Carbonation. Crisp. Prickly bubbles. Prickly. Well sustained. I mean, the head is also kind of the giveaway for that too. The way it doesn't quite go away. Warmth. Did people get a little warmth on it? I did. Slightly. Yep. How would you guys characterize this as creaminess or cre creamy? I wouldn't. Have. No. I thought I thought there was some moderate creaminess to it. 
it was sort of that that dichotomy of you creaminess, but then the, the carbonation got prickly, and uh, you know, stringency. Stringent on the on the finish. I'd say I got I, I felt it like it was a bit astringent, but not too astringent, just subtle. Um, so let's let's go around and I'll point to random people. Give me one or two summary words of the beer. Um, we'll do one. All right, you're looking. Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. But overall, it was really well balanced, kind of multi, ready. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I said well balanced. Uh, my other sample was nicely clear, but this one is not. Um, <laughs> uh, with very pleasant flavors and. Um, I had um, a little bit on the sweeter side with a pretty pronounced hot profile finish. So if people had to guess a style, where would you put put this? If you had to enter this, I guess, at this point. And we may not have covered some appropriate styles for this, but... (laughs) Russian Imperial style. Amber. Sorry? Amber. Amber. Pale, amber, pale. Originally, I said amber, and then I switched it to pale. So, I, I per person probably would have gone American amberish on this. Um, just mainly due to the color and that kind of that malt sweetness. Um, the the truth is, it's a blend of an IPA, a Irish red, and an American amber. So it's it was kind of meant to be a bit muddled um, in terms of the overall impression, but capture a bit of the uh, I guess overall flavor profiles. Um, and then, well, yeah, I guess like, in terms of overall, we didn't really cover American Amber, I guess, at this point, which is just supposed to be a moderately hoppy, amberish beer. Um, uh, ballpark within style, maybe. I just felt like it was a little, yeah, yeah, a little light. Yeah, a little light for an amber, a little dark for a pale. Although I'm sure that there's some overlap in the in the style. Um, for me, the malt profile felt more pale. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the, the breadiness of it get a little confusing. I thought, well, boy, why are you putting this, you know, strikingly bready malt in this uh, in this beer? Mm-hmm. Um, it sounded like people actually were relatively pleased with it. It's just an interesting kind of beer. It's maybe not the world's best of anything, but um, decent drinking pleasure. Um, if you maybe had to give them a hop or a tip for making it more of a American Amber, any any clues what you might want to tell them to do? Hold hops back a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like American Ambers aren't supposed to be incredibly hoppy. Like Pete says, try to get the malt to be a little more appropriate for a particular style. Yeast suggestions? Um, for an Amber? Yeah, I mean, it, was, it seemed like they, they got a decent American-ish. Basic American. Yeah. Nothing complicated. Okay. All right. So uh, with that, uh, let's move on to the the true and false um, questions. Does everyone actually have the true and false uh, handouts? Okay. So like we did last time, we'll go around in a circle and uh, have people tell what they read off the question and read off their air or tell what they think the answer is. So Pete. Number 21. It is acceptable to bring food items other than bread, crackers, and water to the judging table. False? That's false. 
shouldn't be bringing anything really besides what you need to do. Or rotisserie chicken. Rotisserie yeah. chicken, yeah. Um, and you'll see a lot of people bring coffee a lot of time, and that'll usually be me. Um, but if it's if, if it's something that's in particular that's bugging you, please make sure other people know it as yeah, well. Yeah, I think I think the caveat on that is you, you can bring whatever you want to put into your palate as long as it is neutral, doesn't affect anybody else's judging. I mean, yeah. generally you don't show up with your own stuff, but, you know, let's say you're gluten intolerant or something, you've got some you specific place. <laughs> <laughs> and you just make a terrible, terrible life decision to judge beer. <laughs> Alright, okay, so um, you must filter out strong scents from fellow judges of the environment from your mind. Rather than discussing the problem with the competition organizer, that's false. You should address it with the competition organizer. Strong scents from the environment or other judges or stewards should be brought to the attention of the competition organizer. It's true. Yep. Uh, because entries cannot have any identifying marks, it is okay for a judge to judge beers in a category he or she has entered. Yep, and that goes into the premise of violating the uh, integrity of like keeping a complete, un- unbiased um, mindset for judging. If a judge is assigned to judge cat- a category that he she is entered, the judge should ask the competitor, competition organizer to reassign him to another category. Um, that's true. Yep. Um, Basically, the most judges will, or the organizers will try to prevent this from happening, but every so often you screw up. So, just uh, keep in mind what you've entered if you have. All right. Um, if a judge is assigned to a category, uh, he or she has entered. The judge should uh, go ahead and evaluate the entries in that category without notifying the judge director or competition organizer. False. Yep, that's false. Yep. Judges should not review the style being judged from the BJCP style guidelines while at the judging table prior to judging that style. That's false. You should review that. Before you judge every beer, you should take a few seconds, look over the guidelines, and then proceed in. And maybe even discuss the guidelines with uh, the other judges. Okay. Twenty-eight judges may invite stewards to taste the beers in a flight if there's enough samples to share. Wasn't sure as it's false. Um, that's true. They they can taste them basically, but I think actually the, the important thing here is make sure you make it through the beer with enough beer left over in case you guys need to go revisit um, and, and taste it. And depending on if it's a flight that has a mini best to show and you need to save the bottle for the mini best to show, once again listen to the competition organizers. But otherwise, you can let the, the stewards taste the beer. You should not seek input from the stewards on the beer uh, and what their impressions are of it. Okay? Uh, 29. <coughs> yep. It is acceptable to change the order in which you judge the beers in your flight sheet from how it was printed. That's true. That's true. Uh, a lot of times, like if you're, in particular, if you're judging a specialty category, they're going to give it to you in probably some sort of either a random or numerical order, and it's you may have pepper beers in there, and you may want to put those towards the end, or really, really dark beers, so you can adjust those um, within your flight. Number 30, <coughs> beers must be evaluated in the sequence specified on the flight sheet. Uh, false? Yep, that's false. Alex? Oh, man, this was a tough one. 
31. If you've eaten spicy or greasy food with a few hours prior to judging, you should use mouthwash or antiseptic rinse before judging. I said false. It's false. There's no, it's kind of a double negative kind of question in terms yeah. of the. You're compounding your <laughs> error. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, you should also ask to judge your own beer as well at, right. at this point, too. Yeah. Um, Every beer tastes like mouthwash. Yeah. So the, the whole the point is that <laughs> all these things are bad. Don't don't do any of them. You should avoid eating spicy or greasy food within a few hours prior to judging. True. True. Yeah. Spicy or greasy food should be avoided prior to a judging event because they can reduce a judge's sensitivity to the aromas and flavors of beer. True. It's true. Um, perfume, shampoos, and cologne should be avoided prior to judging event because they can reduce a judge's sensitivities to the aromas in the beer. Um, and that's true. Don't want to have distracting smells. It is a good idea to take a decongestant prior to judging event to increase your sensitivity to the aromas of And it, this, this is false. I mean, you shouldn't be chemically modifying your body before judging. Just <laughs> before you chemically modify your body. <laughs> before you deliberately chemically poison your body. Um, it, it's kind of a weird, it's an interesting. It, I guess one of the, the points is if you're sick, then either don't judge or um, in particular if you, you've got like a runny nose or at least let the other people know that you're maybe insensitive, but don't start dragging yourself up just so you can judge. Methamphetamines don't work either. Um, okay. Uh, calibration beers are selected to be the standard against which entries should be judged. True. Okay, so that that's false as well. So they calibration beers are something that they may bring to you um, prior to kicking off a flight. The, the purpose of a calibration beer is to get the judges talking, work their way through the process, talk about consensus scores before kicking into the first beer. Okay. Um, so the, the calibration beer might be horrible, or it might be off style, or it might be a bad bottle. It's just to kind of get the, the ball rolling on, okay, we're going to start judging now, at least here's something maybe within the ballpark of some of the flavors we're going to be tasting. Let's talk about it. Talk about where my sensitivities may be with regards to yours, and then kick into that. Um, so not, not meant to be a standard. A lot of time people will actually, if you do get a calibration beer, they'll keep that on the um, table for the whole competition and maybe come back and revisit it just to see if their palate's drifting with regards to some of the flavors as well. But um, they're not meant to be a Bible by any, any stretch of the word. Okay? It's the responsibility of the head church in consultation with the other church in a flight to assign a consensus score to each entry. Is that true? That's true. The head judge is the one that's responsible for making it. The end. Sure, at the end of the day, there is a score on the piece of paper for their table. That's true. Uh, it is not necessary for scores produced by the judges on a panel to be within seven points or less if directed by the competition director of the challenge. That's false. That it generally is going to be necessary to be within seven points for a BJCP competition. No. No. Yep. Good job. After discussing the initial scores, judges should adjust their final scores to within seven points or less if directed by the competition director. Um, that, that, that's true. true. That's true. Okay. Um, so yeah, people can go through and adjust their... Basically, a lot of times people, if they come in like ten points apart, they'll talk about where they might want to come up or down a couple points to be... To get into range of You'll have other. a discussion. Then, yeah. And you'll say, you know, boy, I really got this, or maybe, mm -hmm. I, you know, and... During that discussion, a lot of times they're like, oh, yeah, I guess I was a little harsh on this, or mm -hmm. I wasn't 
taking that into consideration. Yeah, or if there's something they miss completely, then you might start having that. It, and it's not going to just necessarily be still be in the exact middle. It could be higher, be lower than the middle, depending on how that conversation goes. Forty judges must adjust their scores to be within seven points or less directed by the competition director of each uh, each other as part of developing a consensus score for the beer. True, that's true. And the the typical or less is going to end up being five, um, but this it's it, it's up to the competition. Okay. Um, so yeah, today mainly covered um, the. The overall concepts of not judging your own beer, not having a lot of distracting smells, and um, not messing up yourself such that you can judge appropriately, and how to come to consensus. All right. Um, so now, if you want, to, we're going to go into our technical topics for today. We're going to cover water and yeast. So, if you want to pull out your either your study um, guide or your the little notes for the the water section. Um, back in the old day, the, the core question that we were trying to ask or answer was discuss the importance of water characteristics in the brewing process and how water has played a role in development of world beer styles. Um, and in this one in particular, you can kind of see some of the areas in bold highlighted that relates uh, specifically to the question. Um, but let's see, water is going to be a, the largest percentage by weight and volume and anything you can really measure it by. Um, uh, of your beer. Um, water itself obviously is supposed to be neutral and not taste like anything. However, there are certain characteristics of water, certain uh, minerals and ions and cations that are added to it that will affect um, some of the flavor, but also the way that the overall brewing process goes. So it's a very, very, very important um, ingredient to the beer. It's the, basically the kind of the highway by which everything happens. Um, as long as you have uh, at least a drinkable set of water by most civic standards, it's at least going to be something you can start with for, for making beer. Um, uh, historically, with trying to get nice fresh water to people, uh, when we pump it through all of our different um, pipes and everything, by the time it gets to the person, if you haven't treated the water for trying to prevent microbes from doing something, it'll potentially become um, contaminated. So what we've done is treat it with chlorines and chloramines to inhibit this bacterial growth, with, which does have uh, some effect on the, or could have an effect on the overall process. When we go through a boiling process, we, we, we volatilize that naturally, uh, but you can also get that out um, by charcoal filtering, or the new kind of common technique is to add Camden, which is calcium sulfite, um, which will bind basically with the, the, the chlorine to precipitate kind of out. Um, so that, that's the one kind of normal chemical that's added into beer that we want to get out right away for just about all beers. Um, but there's also kind of the side, side premise of no matter how much chlorine we put in there, there's still going to be some kind of bacteria that's living within your water. So the boiling process that we go through in, in brewing helps eliminate that, that kind of extra variable, which is one, part of the reasons why we boil. Um, so let's talk a little bit about alkalinity, pH, and hardness. Um, so water, H2O, um, when it's actually kind of just sitting around, it forms hydrogen and like hydroxide ions, basically. Um, and you've got this whole kind of um, mess of all these different chemicals in the water with either positive or negative charges. Um, the negative ones are called anions, positive ones are cations. Um, so if 
we have a, a product that, um, and those things can also bond with the, the hydrogen and the oxides, um, leaving a chamber, resulting in a change of the concentration of overall um, hydroxide ions or um, hydrogen ions. Um, so if we end up uh, with uh, a lot uh, or removing a bunch of the um, hydroxide ions, we'll get into some sort of acidic one because the, basically the, the amount of hydro hydrogen ions has been decreasing. Um, so that becomes an acidic water. Um, whereas if we end up um, binding up more of the, the hydrogen ions, we're going to have, uh, or sorry, more of the hydroxide ions, we're going to end up with a, a basic or water or an alkaline water. So the pH is going to be above 7. Um, a completely new neutral water is going to have a pH of exactly 7. Um, so all these things are kind of uh, affected by the, the chemicals you have in there. Um, basically, if there's alkaline products or if there's going to be acids in there. And the amount of uh, how much the overall pH swings will also be a, fu a function of, the, of what other kind of buffers there are within the, the water. Um, so alkalinity, um, it's the, basically the measure of the capacity of the dissolved anions to neutralize the reductions of the pH value of the solution. So the, the more alkaline it is, the more um, uh, hydrogen ions it's able to, to neutralize. The, the core, um, the core ion is going to be uh, carbonate and the car whole carbonate family, bicarbonate and all of those. Um, these in particular will bond with one of the other major buffering um, ions, which is calcium, which is a, a cation, uh, yeah, a positive. Um, and then what happens, they, they form into this calcium carbonate um, molecule, and that has the potential to fall out of solution given time and boiling kind of conditions. Um, and this, this changes your overall pH um, and, and alkalinity of your product. Um, so when this happens, when this kind of uh, formation happens, this basically becomes um, a reduction of your temporary pH or a temporary hardness of the water um, when you pull out the, the calcium ions. Um, the permanent um, is a function of everything that remains after that whole process goes through um, and you've actually taken it off of the, the basically the precipitate that, that fell out. If you don't take it off the precipitate, technically speaking, it's still going to all end up in there as well. Um, so anyhow, so you've got your temporary and your permanent hardness that can affect your overall brewing process and your alkalinity. Um, now, depending on where you are in the brewing process, you want to have different pH levels. Um, so where you are with the initial um, set of ions in the, in the beer or in the water is going to affect where all this ends up. Um, now, the other thing that we talked about last week um, was the acid rest that we can do uh, where we bind up um, phyton, uh, or, yeah, we bind up phyton um, to bring that out. So if we do one of those acid rests, we can increase the amount of phyton, phytic acid in the water, bring down the pH a bit, um, or possibly add in some, and work that with the calcium um, and the magnesium to precipitate those out to reduce your pH to get into a more of a, a range uh, for the overall brewing process and mashing process to successfully unfold it in that 5 to 5.2 to 5.7 range. Um, in the case where you have a, a very, very high uh, pH, you might need to actually drop in some direct acid to help bring it down to get it into range as well. Um, in Seattle area, we tend to have relatively neutral, <coughs> like slightly slightly alkaline water. Yeah. Alex, do you, are we like, what are you at, like 7.6 or? For pH? Yeah. Yeah, like 7.6. We have very alkaline water here. Okay. Yeah. Um, you, they tend to want the water to be slightly alkaline, otherwise you start having problems with your pipes. Um, as well, having some reactions happening with that. 
Okay, so we're gonna go into the major ions in brewing. Okay, so the biggest one that we're going to, that's a part of malt, it's part of your, your brewing water is gonna be calcium. This is a very, very, very important buffering kind of um, uh, ion, going back to that whole kind of uh, carbonate reaction. Um, so it, it brings it, the, the pH into a range uh, where you can prevent tannic extractions, bring it, brings it down a bit, um, and helps uh, some of the protein coagulation, uh, which we'll cover later in the hot breaks and the cold breaks. Um, other important ones, magnesium, um, which is going to be mainly going to be used by just something as uh, for yeast uh, fermentation. Uh, but if you end up with a bunch of extra stuff, it's going to get every kind of metallic taste. Um, sodium, uh, when it, so you, within salt, you've got sodium and chloride. The sodium is kind of what adds that extra big uh, satiating kind of uh, note to, to different products, so it accentuates the sweetness. Um, but then if you actually have some full, I guess, kind of salts like going on, it'll actually end up tasting salty. Um, as mentioned before, that big important one is that bicarbonate, which neutralizes the acids, kind of works with that calcium to, to kind of come into that center ground. Um, also helps with the, um, see, as compared to the, the calcium, this promotes um, extraction of the tannins and other colors as well. Um, but um, what are the other ones? Sulfite. Uh, sulfite's going to basically make hops pop a little more, so areas that have a higher sulfite constant, they're going to be naturally more inclined to have hoppier or, uh, beers. Um, and then chloride, which kind of gives that some of that sweetness other side of the um, salt, or standard salt. Uh, don't want to have too much of that because you can uh, dork up your yeast fermentation or flocculation. Um, and then other random, when you get your water reports, they'll, they'll report on all sorts of other different, different heavier metals that can be on there. But all these are somewhat used by yeast to, to, with their fermentation process. People would used to do stuff like dropping a, a copper bar into their brewing kettle just to add a little extra copper um, to their beers. Uh, just, just, just to kind of trace them out. One of the important takeaways is if you're using reverse osmosis or mm -hmm. distilled water and taking straight down to nothing but H2O, you need to add some yeast yep. components of you know iron, magnesium, zinc, these things that the yeast needs to have a healthy fermentation. Yeah. Um, so you have to be careful that... Uh, yeah. They're, they're basically parts of the way it ends up eating later. And if you put it in an environment where there's nothing but water, first of all, kill it. Um, but um, it'll it'll basically prevent some of those balances um, because malt's only going to come with certain chemicals and certain extra um, uh, ions in it. Um, whereas a lot of the, the kind of standard ones are going to come from the brewing water. Okay, so if we go down and we look at some of the the famous brewing waters. Okay, so uh, we'll start out. We got Pilsen, which has you can see the they've got the calcium, magnesium, sodium, sulfite, bicarbonate, and chloride. After that. Fills in incredibly, incredibly soft water, uh, just one of the softest waters in the world. Um, as a result of this, um, they're able to brew a very, very, very clean uh, beer. However, um, they probably need to get a few more or get the pH down a bit for, for some of the beers that they're trying to brew. So this is probably why they started working their way through decoction mashing for, for the beers, is to get some of that um, acid balance and the, the alkalinity to work together to get it into a range where you can make a balanced beer. Um, Dortmund, uh, very high calcium content, um, very high bicarbonate levels, um, just kind of actually kind of a mineral note and the styles from there you have the Dortmunder export um, which you, you actually can pick up a little bit of the mineral notes um, from that as well. Um, 
Munich. Uh, when you think of Munich, you think of malt-focused uh, beers and, uh, a lot of the time, so you can start to see a relatively high bicarbonate level, which, which helps um, with, uh, or basically accentuate a little bit of a darker beer. Um, Vienna, a little a, a bit high in the calcium, um, but then it, it has a correspondingly low um, bicarbonate. A little better for just a softer, kind of malt-balanced beer. Um, Burton is where we start to see an unusual amount of um, sulfate. So as a result of this, you think of an English pale ale, something hoppy, something um, where they really are starting to pop through a bunch of the hop character. But also, because of the high bicarbonate level, you can have a decent amount of colored malts in there, too, to, to balance that out. Um, Dublin, um, relatively high bicarbonate. Um, so picked up a bunch of kind of roasty, roasty-ish malts, for malt profiles in there. Edinburgh, um, once again, think of their beers as well. They're not very hoppy, even though they have a decent hop um, or a sulfite level. Um, but mainly something that's going to high bicarbonate, so they carry a bunch of malt through. Um, London, similar as well. High bicarbonate carries a bunch of malt. So you see down there, you can see London, Munich, and Dublin. High bicarbonate basically lets you put up a whole bunch of extra dark malts in. Um, that, that burden where the sulfite was really high led you to putting in a bunch more extra hops into it. Pilsner. Um, had to change their kind of overall brewing process to account for the water, but as a result, they were able to get a very, very nice light beer um, and have that balance out. Um, so everywhere comes basically with whatever their natural water profile is, and as a result of that, they're more inclined to exhibit certain uh, malt, I guess, profiles and occasionally some hop profiles as well. If we need to, if we want to brew a little out of our, our, our range for our indigenous water, we can add some chemicals to, to adjust it. Um, common one, is, most common one is um, gypsum, uh, which is basically um, kind, of, kind of a version of calcium sulfate. So you can add a whole bunch of calcium as well as some um, sulfate, which tends to boost up the hoppy or your ability to throw in hoppy. So you, you'll, you'll typically hear this is called burtonizing um, your water when you add in gypsum. Um, Epsom salts, which is magnesium sulfide, or sulfur, not sulfide. Sulfate, yeah. right? Okay, sulfate. Um, way to get a little more magnesium in there as well as, well as some sulfur. Um, just kind of straight on, non-iodized table salt to add a little bit of that sweetness and uh, that roundness to a beer potentially. I don't know. I used to work with a guy who would salt his Budweiser because it made it a little sweeter mm-hmm. and got some of the carbonation out as well. Yeah. Um, thought he was completely nuts for doing it, but uh, yeah, but you could literally take a table salt to a beer mm-hmm. and change it. Um, do you have table salt here, Alex? Table salt? Yeah. I don't know what goes on. <coughs> I don't know what goes on. Don't worry don't about, about it. Oh, all right. <clears throat> if it's somewhere, it's down here. Then you've also got chalk, um, calcium carbonate, weighs down uh, a little calcium, and is also add a bit to the carbonate to boost up the, the dark malts that you can support. Um, and then calcium chloride, which can kind of work in that, uh, similar to the table salts as well. Um, yeah. What's good? Um, Do you want pepper for your pizza? Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, it, basically, Walt's water is kind of that overlooked uh, little section, but a very important for kind of guiding a style through and making it really pop. You can brew with any kind of water for any kind of beer, but some of them just won't click. They won't hit the right malting or the mashing temperatures as well as you'd like them to, and just won't present as well if the, uh, the water doesn't support the, the corresponding malting care. Yes, yeah. and I know that water plays a big role in, in the, the development of styles in a particular region mm-hmm. and why you saw you know, maltier beers coming from Munich yeah. or, uh, 
you know, dark beers coming from Dublin, like we discussed last week, that, you know, it played to their strengths, so it got the best product rather than, you know, trying to copy somebody else's. Yeah. Um, or when they did copy it, it ended up turning into something different. Mm -hmm. Any other questions on water? Okay. All right. Yeast and diacetyl. You can pull that, uh, that one. So the core questions uh, are describe the stages of yeast development and give five considerations in selecting the appropriate yeast strain for a given beer style and uh, explain how a brewer gets the following uh, characteristics uh, in his or her beer, a proper diacetyl level for style. Um, obviously yeast is the, the, the driver of the chemical transformation of the available sugars into CO2, alcohol, um, and some flavor compounds. Um, uh, there are basically two brewer's yeasts. There's ale yeast and lager yeast. Uh, the two uh, Saccharomyces uh, cerevisiae or, and uh, Carl's Bergensis. Um, and basically the fundamental difference between lager and ale is the temperature at which they're most suited for brewing. Uh, a lot of times you'll hear top fermented versus bottom fermented. Um, and for home brewers or, you know, when you've got an ale fermentation, you get a high level of Krausen on top of the beer, um, which is basically bubbles, and the yeast is uh, is foaming and, and active and doing things, um, uh, and uh, and so that's the the top fermenting. We say lager is bottom fermenting mostly because it doesn't have such a vigorous Krausen. Um, it's still in solution. It's not having a big bubbling fit at the bottom. Um, you know, it's just more subdued, and part of that is temperature. Um, because it's doing it at a, a more leisurely pace at a, a more sedate temperature. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the other kind of part of that is that they have different, basically, cell wall structures that lead to them flocculating together in group and kind of forming that nice top as compared to sliding off each other almost and kind of just sticking around at the bottom. Um, so the, they differ in their optimum fermentation temperatures, the the different sugars that, uh, that the lager yeast are able to... Uh, to consume that the ale yeast um, and then the, the flocculation or the settling out uh, once it's done um, and then you know part of that is then different flavor compounds that, uh, that come out of uh, each style um, so the five or five considerations that a brewer might use uh, uh, when they're considering what uh, what yeast to use is the how fermentable it is the attenuation uh, and apparent attenuation is basically the measure of how much sugar is in at the start of the fermentation and how much sugar is left residual. Um, because ethanol is lighter than water, you don't get an actual honest to goodness. My, I just skipped ahead. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, yeah, you're really drinking. Okay. Well, we'll just all skip right ahead. <laughs> well, well um, yeah. We're, we'll cover the flocculation toler uh, environmental tolerances, byproducts, and temperature fermentation. And price. That's an important one, too. Yes. Um, so the apparent attenuation is uh, uh, the, the basically the percentage based on the uh, the final and the original. Um, the original is the denominator. The final is the numerator. Uh, comes out as a percentage. So most yeast is going to be in the seventy to or sixty-five to eighty-five percent range, uh, with slight variations between the ale and the lager yeast, um, and. Uh, you know, what's left is then dextrins and body um, and a little bit of sweetness. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just species that are dependent or strain dependent. Um, 
So depending on how dry of a beer you want or how not dry of a beer you want. Mm -hmm. um, flocculation is the ability of the yeast to, to settle out down at the bottom into a nice yeast cake. Uh, and like Mark said, for ale yeast, they tend to, once fermentation is starting to slow down, they start drifting and grabbing each other. Um, and as that mass gets bigger, it, it could drop, settles out of solution. Um, you know, some... Uh, some yeast, sorry, I just want to make sure I'm, yeah, not, no, no, I'm not jumping ahead. So some yeasts, like an English yeast, are more flocculent, mm -hmm. um, which means they tend to drop out uh, uh, quickly. Um, so they may actually drop out prior to the finishing up of the fermentation. Uh, so you might end up with some cleaning up that isn't done. Uh, so you may end up browsing. You may end up with a, a non-flocculent yeast. So you end up, you know, it's just hard. You have to, to find the, the stuff to get it out. Um, yeah, and basically... Yeast has to be exposed to the product in order to work on it, and if it's fall falling down to the same area, it's and you've got just a surface area, and then you know billions of cells underneath mm -hmm. that aren't doing anything. Um, so you know when we talk about uh, English ales, because their yeast is more flocculent, a lot of times you'll get a little diacetyl left over um, that just wasn't cleaned up, and so that becomes acceptable for that style. So you know, as, a, as an American brewer, maybe you know, boy, I really love English yeast, but because it drops like a ton of bricks. You know, on day four, you know, I'm, I'm not getting the ideal uh, uh, flavor profile from my fermentation. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't flocculate as well, it's going to be still within the beer, may cause haziness, and changes to your mouthfeel as well. Yeah. Yeast is also known to pick up um, hop bitterness on its kind of basically its self-surface. So you, if you end up with something yeasty, you can also end up with something that picks up a bit of extra hot kind of character and get right. into it. Uh, environmental tolerance, uh, which is, you know, uh, how much alcohol can it can't handle? And it, essentially, the uh, the yeast is poisoning itself. So, you know, some yeast are alcohol tolerant up to 8%, some up to 12%. Uh, others, you know, being if you nurse them along and feed them sugar at, at regular dosings, you know, you can maybe get these 15 18% beers that, uh, that people are coming out with. But the yeast is not happy. I mean, it's... it's in a poisonous environment for itself. Um, uh, some ale strains up to 12, most lagers up to 8. Uh, the amount of oxygen required uh, prior, prior to fermentation. Mm -hmm. So post-fermentation, oxygen is bad. Uh, we start getting the staling flavors. The yeast needs uh, oxygen to create sterols, to create cell walls, uh, to, to be able to multiply. Um, and so you know, some are going to need a lot more oxygen some are going to get a little less oxygen, uh, depending on the yeast. Um, you know. Yeah, on, a, on any given day, a yeast wants to have a non-alcoholic fermentation. It wants to have oxygen around because it ends with a whole bunch more energy for going through its process. But So we want to give it enough oxygen to help it get through that growth phase to make it feel nice and happy, but then hopefully have the oxygen environment disappear so it begins alcoholic fermentation and then does what we actually want it to do. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the different... Sugar combinations, depending on you know our discussion of mashing last week, the different types of sugars that can be created. Um, you know, so some yeast can go and, and really attack a lot of these different sugars. You know, something like a saison yeast. Um, you know, uh, a lager yeast is going to be able to convert the raffinose, which an ale yeast or ale strain isn't going to be able to. Uh, so you know, that's part of what do I want to end up with at the end of the day? Is this a super treacly IPA? Or is this a you know super rich English barley wine you know that that I you know 
I want some of that residual sweetness because I want it to be a, a rich, syrupy beer. Um, so part of the anaerobic uh, fermentation, and well, part of the aerobic fermentation are all these little byproducts. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're very little, teeny, yeah. teeny tiny. You could hardly see them. And a lot of them actually come out in the initial fermentation process, which you're doing a little bit of the anaerobic. That's where you get more of these extra. Yeah, so well, they, a lot of the byproducts are produced initially. The right, and then, or so. you know, because the, uh, the fermentation is a pathway, mm-hmm. so, you know, it converts it to this, which something else acts on it and converts to that, and, you know, and each stage, you know, there are these precursors to the alcohol and CO2 that we're, we're looking for. So esters um, are, you know, generally fruity uh, components, uh, you know, apples, pears, cherries, strawberry. Um, and those are, you know, kicked off mostly by ale yeast. Um, uh, fusel alcohols uh, are the higher, more unpleasant alcohols. Um, they... Contain more carbon atoms. Yeah, naturally. Um, but uh, that's what you're going to get: solvent, uh, those that really hot, sort of intense, uh, higher alcohols. Uh, diacetyl, um, and that's what we talked about. The diacetyl is a precursor to the the entire conversion uh, process. So it exists in the beer, and then as the fermentation is ending, that does get cleaned up. Mm-hmm. You know, unless a it's moved off the beer prematurely or the flocculation it drops out. Um, uh, we're going to taste it a second. It's butter, butterscotchy, um, and then uh, sulfur compounds uh, mostly uh, come out of, uh, or more intensely come out of uh, lager yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can be, you know, rotten eggs, hydrogen sulfide, um, just crisp sulfur elemental. Yeah, party. Yeah, party. Uh-huh. Um, so diacetyl. Uh, like I said, butter, butterscotch, toffee-like. Um, you can also get, uh, it, it has a, a, a sensation on the palate of slickness. Um, uh, like I said, it's uh, normally uh, reduced to more innocuous diols. Um, uh, it says, uh, prematurely separating the beer from the yeast, either by flocculation or by racking it. Um, it can be caused by low uh, free amino, is it free? Free amino mixture. Free amino nitrogen fan. Okay. It's a nitrogen uh, product that uh, uh, that the yeah. yeast require to to. Yeah, there's certain amino acids that need to be within the, the around for yeast to complete their their processes, and if you deprive them of that, um, you, you you see these kind of processes come up. You'll and which is you'll see this pop up in winemaking too. They're very concerned about their nitrogen levels. Make sure that they have a nice healthy fermentation. Um, a lot of times, that I mean, basically, your malt comes with enough free amino nitrogen. Mm-hmm. Should be a, a fairly rare situation. Um, uh, it can also be caused by contamination, uh, notably Pediococcus, mm-hmm. uh, will produce uh, a buttery note as well as the uh, the, the the sour. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, low levels of diacetyl are permissible in nearly all styles, uh, particularly those Scotland, England. Um, and the Czech pilsners, um, primarily because they're water, right? I and mean, that's yeah. yeah. Uh, but the main ones are going to be the British ones that you kind of think of that'll that'll have it in a, a level that's mildly per, fairly perceivable, but then also acceptable at the same time. So at ale temperatures, normally the diastole clears itself up 
by its on its own yeah. as part of the uh, the final yeah. conversion of the thing. But you always want to wait at least a little time while after the primary fermentation kind of has died down. Right, yeah. and then uh, with lagers, a lot of times they'll uh, use a uh, diastema <laughs> rest, basically bring the beer up to 55 to 60 degrees, let it sit there for a day or two so that the yeast is sort of thrust into action by the higher temperatures and you the know, process moves a little faster as a function of the temperature too. Right. Um, and then uh, ensuring adequate amounts of amino acids. Yeah. Make sure you've got lots of food. Um, so we said uh, temperature, uh, ale yeast uh, uh, is in the 55 to 75 degree temperature range. Um, it can attenuate to 69 to 80%. Uh, fully ferments a lot of common sugars. Um, can only partially ferment raffinose. Uh, top fermenting uh, esters. Uh, <laughs> things that we've discussed. Extremely small fonts. Um, um, yes. Uh, but yeah, once again, kicking off that little extra fruity note, basically as well. There are some um, specific ale yeasts, like the German Weiss beer yeast that we're gonna. We, that's one of our styles we're tasting. But that has the distinctive uh, clove and banana notes. Um, and the, uh, the the clove is a phenol. The uh, banana is an ester that gets produced, um, and it could be you know present in other yeast, but it's noticeably prominent uh, uh, in the German. Um, the lager yeast uh, tends to work between 46 and 56, um, except for California common lager, which they do a little bit warmer, uh, 67 to 77 percent attenuation. Um, they can fully convert raffinose. Um, bottom fermenting, even though it's sort of a misnomer. Um, and then the, uh, there's two different subtypes. Um, the Froberg, uh, which uh, uh, doesn't flocculate well, and the uh, uh, Saws lager, uh, which, uh, or Saws type, which tends to flocculate better. Um, and because they're lower, active at lower temperatures, you get less fusel alcohols, less uh, fermentation estuary byproducts, um, just because, like I said, they're they're a little calmer. They're just doing their thing at a uh, at a more stately rate. Um, so, yeah. like, you know, typically, when we talk about lager aroma, we're talking about a much cleaner fermentation profile without a lot of the fruity esters that uh, that you get out of it. Yeah, that's it. Each yeast is going to work at a, uh, over a large, large range, um, but they they work best in a certain range, producing a stable kind of profile. Um, I always kind of like to say once you start to take them out of their temperature range, they like to sweat, and sweat smells, and sweat's got extra kind of characters that they you don't maybe intend to get into the beer, so it may pick up more esters, or um, phenols, uh, higher alcohols, and those kind of things. Um, yeah, it's, it's a function of yeast stress, yes. and that could be, yeast stress can be lack of nutrients, but also being out of their temperature range. Uh, you know, cooler isn't usually much of a problem, it'll just go dormant and fall out. Hotter, that's when you start getting some very unpleasant yeah. uh, uh, characteristics. Mm -hmm. uh, so the yeast life cycle, uh, it's, it's beautiful. It's a circle. It's natural. It's it okay. is. It's, uh, um, basically, there are uh, five defined portions per the, the BJCP of, of what happens when, uh, when a yeast is introduced to the wort. Um, the initial is the lag phase. So you've just brewed your beer. You've chilled it. You've pitched your yeast. The yeast are sort of... Waking up, taking a look around, trying to figure out what's going on, uh, sort of uh, saying, you know, how much sugar is here? What's, you know, where do I have nutrients? Do I, you know, am I dead? Am I in heaven? Where, what's going on? 
Um, Becoming self-aware. Co- yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Coming out of its dormancy. Um, and they're basically, they're just like the, uh, the germination of the malt. Oh, look at this full circle with the whole class. Um, you know, it's using its internal stores uh, and starting to look to import some, uh, some chemicals from the wort into it. Because at this point, it was probably in some sort of a dormant phase, which means it had built up its own reserves to go into hibernation. And so now it's figuring out, now if I want to break myself out of this, what do I need to do? That's probably thinking something along the lines of, woohoo! Yeah. Um, so the, the gross phase, or the aerobic phase of the, uh, the fermentation, um, is basically the yeast is now going to create more cells by budding. Um, and ideally, you want your yeast to divide three or four times to get the, the proper amount uh, of yeast so that, you know, that's basically a, a good range of how much nutrient is in the wort to be able to, to convert. Um, Every time the yeast goes through a process of budding and having another one, it's kind of splitting up its own reserves, creating problems on its own skeletal or cell structure. It's creating a bud scar that um, after a certain while, you're going to end up with too many bud scars and just kind of... Uh, inhibits your ability to keep reproducing. Uh, and like I said, the, the oxygen is important at this point. That's why it's the aerobic phase. Uh, they're creating the sterols, which they use to create cell wall components, which go into the new cells that they're spinning off. Um, there is something called the Crabtree effect. Um, basically, it, it's amount, the amount of glucose... Um, it basically, it'll start. I, I don't understand. I, 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 don't worry about it. Okay, <laughs> there is a thing um, that you shouldn't understand. Yeah. Uh, so once it's uh, sort of used up all the oxygen um, available and done its dividing, now it's going into anaerobic fermentation, and that's where you know, as far as we're concerned, that's where the beauty is is created. Um, the the BGP divides it divides it up into low krausen. Um, basically, before there's really a, a large foam covering the top. It's, it's, there's some scattered bubbles. Maybe they're starting to come together. Um, basically, the yeast of now, they're, they've, they're, they're ready to do. They've got all the sugar. They want to act on it. Um, so during the initial fermentation, especially fusel alcohols uh, can be created. Uh, so this is, it's very important if you're going to you know, ferment control or temperature control only part of the fermentation for some crazy reason. Uh, you know, it's the beginning that you really want to make sure that, 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 you know, you're in, you know, for an ale yeast, maybe it's 68 degrees. You're keeping it down. You're keeping it calm. Um, you know, pressure, uh, depending on the vessel. So, you know, what I do in my five-gallon carboy is going to be different than what Alex is doing in his 30-barrel uh, fermenter um, uh, temperature-wise. Um, so I mean, the, the key note on this is it's the conversion from aerobic fermentation and growth over to anaerobic fermentation, which is alcohol and, uh, and CO2. Uh, and then it goes into high Krausen, uh, and basically this is where it's ripping and roaring. Um, you know, it's going to create its own heat. Uh, if you've ever, you know, felt a, a fermenter that's that's going, you know, it's it gets pretty warm all on its own. Um, uh, and it's going to uh, basically rip through and, and eat as much of that sugar as it can. Um, uh, it says that ale yeast have already metabolized most of the, the sugars present in the wort. Yeah, yeah they're working their way through it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the uh, late Krausen, uh, basically that's when the, uh, the the Krausen for an ale starts to fall back, uh, fall back down. So you'll be able to look at you know there's a ring where it achieved its maximum height, but now it's it's a little bit down. Um, 
uh, especially in lager yeast, this is where it's starting to clean itself up, all those uh, chemical pathways uh, that are going through, like diacetyl, acetaldehyde, you know, all these delightful things that we don't particularly want in our beer, we want the, the yeast to finish up. Um, uh, generally, uh, that's when it starts to flocculate, which is falling out of solution. Ale yeast tends to clump together, get heavy, fall to the bottom. Um, uh, the uh, powdery lager obviously doesn't do that nearly as well um, as the, uh, the saws-type lager yeast. Um, it says when uh, the yeast begins to flocculate, beer is generally racked into a secondary fermenter. Um, or maybe in the brewing, you're, you're purging your yeast a little bit at this, or a little while after this. Um, and then removing of excess yeast and troub will uh, prevent the formation of off flavors due to autolysis or reaction with the troub substrates. Um, you know, essentially, it's done its job. It's now going into dormancy. Um, waiting for another good day. Yes, yes, waiting for that miraculous uh, introduction into a, another set of wort. Um, and uh, has done its done its duty for us as as a people. Are there any questions about yeast? I didn't understand. How do you determine the uh, anaerobic uh, fermentation? How do you see this physically? The anaerobic? Yes. Um, how do you see it? It's when it starts. It's basically yeah. So when you, visually, when you've pitched. Um, the yeast. The, the yeast. You're, you'll. It's not going to do anything basically for the lag phase and during the growth phase. You probably will not see anything happening in your beer. Yeah. Um, it's when it transitions into the low krausen that you'll actually start to see fermentation. See the bubbles start to emerge because um, that's when it's kicking off the carbon dioxide and that starts to create churning. Um, because so I see that the water basically boiling, and yeah. actually the temperature is rising. Is rising up to, well. yeah. to two yep. So that should be once you get moving out of the low chrysin into the high chrysin phase, okay. when it's actively very, very going, it's when you're looking at the carboy, it really looks like a lava lamp. Yeah. Um, Any other yeast questions? All right. Okay. So Pete's going to go grab some of the. Off flavors, and people need to take a quick break to probably do that. Um, and so, yeah, if you want to have out your study guide over open to the um, the default or the sorry, default section in the back, we'll have to get keyed up for those. Hey, no, did you actually are you fermenting a lager right now? Yeah, but I mean, I just pitched this morning. Oh, okay, never mind. Okay, so it's in the because we don't, we don't have an off flavor for sulfury. Um, and obviously, okay. a nicely, okay. freshly fermented lager oh, would, yeah, would be kind of the best. best well, you know what? It's actually earlier. I did it yesterday. That's Oh. That So, we'll talk about the sulfury yeasty real quick right now. So, if you look at the, the kind of back page, we can go into everything to taste with that. Um, so, this isn't uh, the other flavor. We haven't covered DMS yet, have we? I don't know if we did that in the. What's that one? What's that one? We did? That's was that one of the first ones we yes. did? Okay. So DMS is kind of that cooked corn um, note that we're talking about. Um, this is this kind of sulfury is not going to be that. Um, they say they compare it to rotten eggs, um, like kind of shrimp shells, uh, rubber. Um, there, I mean, there's just that straight sulfur note that you can pick up as well. Um, comes from different kind of amino acids within the, the, the byproducts of yeast. 
Um, you can also get these kind of yeast characters um, where if the yeast has been sitting around too long at the bottom, it's not getting out of its dormancy phase and it's kind of going into this autolysis phase where it just dies and then it basically ruptures and all the contents um, from inside it kind of spill out into the beer. Um, those can add some yeasty notes into it and some sulfur kind of characters as well. Um, the, the core ways to avoid this are going to be have healthy yeast. Uh, Healthy yeast, uh, make sure that they've got the right amounts or right kinds of uh, amino acids in there, and then don't let it sit on its own yeast for too long, months and years, and kind of uh, kind of aspects as well. Um, uh, that's about it. Pete, anything else with sulfury? Uh, no, I don't really know what you said. Oh, okay, that much stuff. Sounds great. What's the first team you're working Diacetyl? Okay. So, go back to diacetyl again. Um, like, like Pete was talking about, it's kind of that, it's a natural intermediate. It's going to be in every beer uh, to, to some extent or some part of the process. Um, you know, the yeast are just going to produce it in different quality or quantities depending on what kind of strain it is and what kind of fermentation and what kind of exposure and health that they were in. Um, so as long as it's gonna it's gonna spit out diacetyl, and then later on, hopefully, if it's given time and uh, the access, it'll reabsorb it back into the to the yeast as well. Um, but uh, once again, due to due to poor health or removing it from um, the yeast uh, early, it may stay in the beer as well, um, or some may just not produce it in. You may also, like Pete mentioned, get it from either lactic acid or bacteria. PDO um, is the the biggest producer of that. I'm pretty sure Brett can technically reduce um, or eat eat PDO and or sorry eat um, diacetyl and, and process that through. Um, but if you're going through that, you're hopefully making a sour beer as it is, um, or you're in for a whole other set of surprises. Um, so it's going to end up with some most uh, buttered popcorn um, or, or butterscotch uh, is, is the. The typical way that people think of it. Um, the uh, one of the kind of tips that the, the the yeast guys will give you in terms of trying to figure out if your beer is actually finished a uh, diacetyl rest is to take a small amount of it, microwave it for about 20, 30 seconds, and then smell it. And the diacetyl will usually pop straight out um, if there is uh, still some in there. And if there is, you should give it some more time and, and uh, let it uh, rest for a bit longer. Um, that was also known to give a little bit of a slickness on the palate too. So if, you're, if you think that you're tasting it in certain beers, it may you may feel it as well. And that's one of those things. If you do feel it on your palate, please put that into the um, mouthfeel section too. So it's definitely a very pronounced example of diacetyl. Um, more of the butterscotchy for me. What does 
and they are standard microwave popcorn uses diastyl as the um, buttering agent. So it's they usually kind of provide a small warning to it. Is it actually in yeah. like, butter? Huh? <laughs> oh, is it actually part of butter? Yeah. I don't know that it is. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Can you smell the GMS? Or hmm? Can you smell it or just by taste? Or no, you can. I'm hoping you can smell it. Can you smell it next to your uh, the, yeah. the normal sample. It's a for me. It's a pretty pronounced butterscotch as compared to the other one. And can people feel it in their mouthfeel too? Mm -hmm. A little extra satiated. It's a little thicker. Um, Kind of just dulls down the beer a bit. <coughs> Does anyone feel like it's talking to them, or is it just mainly butter and butterscotch? Yeah, in, in the finish on this, it really just reminds me of a butterscotch candy that I ate a few minutes ago or something like that. All right, so happy yeast. Letting them finish out their process basically is going to help get rid of that. Acid. What's next, Pete? Acetaldehyde. All right. Acetaldehyde, another intermediate product. Um, <clears throat> basically, as um, yeast is fermenting, there's a whole bunch of spiral kind of processes. So this gets converted to this, it gets converted to this, and then it gets converted back. Um, um, <coughs> so this is basically um, this, some of this actually may be in some of the lagers that we taste. Um, um, but basically, we're looking at a I mean, this is pretty good as a, just kind of a, a light, really, really unripe apple kind of note that you get in this. Yeah. Are there two pictures? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Did people get the apple component yeah. on this? Um, Bud Light will tend to have this. Budweiser, too. Budweiser, yeah. Any of the buds, because of the beechwood aging, removing. It's one of those that gets reabsorbed later, um, kind of kind of products. When the beechwood age something and yank all the yeast onto these nice logs, it removes them from being able to reabsorb some of the acetaldehyde, and as a result, you end up with more of that apple character in, in the beer. That's why Bud typically is the... the Kind of other prime example of acetaldehyde. Tolerable amounts, but present. So basically, the way to help prevent this, have a nice healthy yeast profile, make sure you have a good oxidation kind of pro or sorry, initial initial oxidation. But basically, later oxidation can increase your overall acetaldehyde production, and then removing it away from um, yeast itself um, can, okay. can really kick that up. Um, so, healthy yeast and adequate amount of time on, on, on the, um, uh, with a yeast in the end of your shit, help with these things. 
Oh, that's really green apple when you taste yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it almost kind of instantly reminds me of a, a, a Jolly Rancher sour sour apple. Did you explain what the beach the beachwood yeah. is that it attracts? It, it attracts them on and helps them speed the lagering process and cleaning up of the beer. Well, sorry, cleaning up the yeast of the beer, but not necessarily the byproducts of the uh, process. Thirty weeks, yeah. That very nice. Does everyone actually just want to make sure? Does everyone get the sea dial? Okay. Everyone's. Granny, Granny Smith, yeah. fresh cut, Granny, yeah, on the tart end, on, maybe yeah. pre-harvest Still on the tree, yes. yeah. Um. Okay, so for Mer Captain, this is uh, not necessarily one of the things that you're really going to pop up in in a beer, but an example of a, a potential unhappy yeast profile. With a sulfury note, it's yeah, it's gonna do. We're just it's gonna be a sulfury kind of character, so it's not really really one that's specifically called out. These tend to be more wine related, I think, than anything else. Um, Sort of the hydrogen sulfide mm-hmm. brought an egg, a little yeah, eggshells. Yeah, uh, yeah. Drain like is a lot of times what they describe it as. Yeah, I just pulled some nasty hair thing out of my drain a few days yeah. ago, and it definitely reminded me of this. Um, <laughs> it wasn't my hair though. That's the nice. Thing. <laughs> Yeah, really more the sulfide. Then. This has a sort of like a rose note. Mm-hmm. A little floral. Uh, undesirable. Even in Budweiser. Music fun? Of course, of course. Okay. I'm not getting a lot of it. It's not. It's this isn't as intense, but it's just one of those. It sort of comes and goes in the aroma. Yeah. Like occasionally, you'll get some volatilization of it, and it's like, ooh. I do feel like this is something you get in beer, like in in homebrew competitions. And you know, charitably, you know, oh, initial kind of green like aroma. Yeah. Barbecue, would you say? I would never use the term garbage. You never use that term. This is something I've been smelling in one of the pizza Christmas beer in it, Club Vegas. I'm like, what is that awful smell? Yeah, is there a particular style that he does that gets it? Yeah, it seems to me. Yeah. And this can, a mixture of 
kind of get towards that little like really really youngish um, lager beer, but yeah, still. It's probably not just the assumptions. Okay. Any other questions on bad smelling yeast things? I'm going to pass the uh, sheet around for people to sign in if I can find it. Because then I need to write what beers we're tasting on the back of it. <coughs> Are there any flavors that would come from using water chemistry? Sorry? Are there any flavors that would come from using raw water chemistry? I don't know if, uh, if we have any metallic ones. Um, yes, it's me. Well, the, the big one is going to be uh, getting some chlorophenols if you don't disperse the chlora, chloramines in the water. So, you know, either treating it, charcoal filtering it, or uh, using uh, Camden tablets to precipitate that out. Uh, and those can be medicinal, um, uh, phenolic, very unpleasant characters. Uh, you know, in terms of having unbalanced character, like you can load your water up with uh, minerals and then you'll get that straight through to the finished product. Um, you know, if you don't have the right components for yeast health, you can end up with a disaster as well. Um, there's less, other than the chloramines, there's less of a direct, you know, the water caused this. It's more that the water causes the yeast to be unhappy. When we moved here, we experienced with the high alkalinity, if you don't reduce the pH and you result in See if I can figure out how to get the hell out of that. All right. So for <coughs> tasting today, uh, we're going to start with uh, Category 3 Czech Lagers. Um, so in the past, they pretty much just had Czech Pilsner. Um, and yet, that being said, there's a bunch of other different kind of uh, Czech beers that are out there. They tend to be very, very well attenuated, very, very crisp uh, beers. Um, we're going to kind of get into some of the, of the original um, the pills, basically the, the basically Czech pills is basically the beginning of. I'm going to have a nice light beer that's uh, kind of presentable in the glass. Um, um, getting into that really, really nice light water profile um, and supporting it with an interesting kind of, uh, I guess, malting or sorry, uh, mashing process. So, um, our this is actually Czech Pale. Uh, it's Czech Pale. It's not on the uh, style guidelines. Uh, it's probably uh, the 3A. Okay. Uh, rather than the, three, or it's it's somewhere in between 3A and 3B. The premium. Okay. So we've got Czech Pale Lager, um, Czech Premium Pale Lager, um, and then Czech Amber Lager, um, and then Czech Dark Lager. Do we have one for each of those? Oh, we don't have an amber. Okay. Um, but between the, the, the Czech Pale Lager and the Czech uh, Premium Pale, um, should be just looking for a little bit of an intensity boost. Um, Thank you. 
Alright, so what does it everyone get initially? Um, and does anyone else need note sheets or score sheets? bit of skunkiness to this, but um, but I think that that's kind of working into an interesting craft tactic, tactical tobacco note. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that too. So past that initial tobacco and uh, skunky note, um, what do what do people get from all? Kind of like a. Yeah, there's a, just a hint of toast. There's all I mean, there's also just some kind of fresh bread notes to it too. White bread, exactly. The bread whites in particular, yep. And with a little character to it, but I mean, it's not like a I'm drinking Wonder Bread, um, but it's just a nice little malt profile of a, of a white bread, not not too pushed over the edge. What do people get for hop room on this? It's relatively faint. Little floral, little just a hint of pepper, maybe. A little, bit of spice. A little, sorry. A little, little spice. Yeah, well, it's just kind of like an all-spice-ish, yeah. Or overall, a little fairly subdued, but just clean. No major fermentation notes to it. Nice, beautiful yellow, pushing a little gold notes into it. Brilliant clarity, light white hug that falls relatively quickly to just a fine layer and coarse bubbles. Do you push the sulfur blown off for you? Oh, it was the little bit there, so. Nice kind of a roll, basic, basically flavor to me. Just a, a table roll, um, a, a, something bring up before dinner. A little bit of that spice character. I get a uh, spice drop to me almost. Get a bit of a corn, almost mm -hmm. BMS. Um, somewhere between sweet corn and, uh, and cream corn. No? Huh? No? No, I, no, I, I can definitely go with the sweet corn in particular. Yeah. Stale. See, it finishes with that spice drop for me, though. 
Because mm. he's kind of got that little candy note. So I feel like it's kind of scraping down the, uh, the back of my throat and palate. Is that enough bitterness basically to push just a little through and get the kind of that malt character, but <coughs> not pronounced, I mean, and relatively, well, it, I, so you're, you're saying it's scraping through? Yeah, it just... <laughs> You're calling it a spice drop. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, no, it's somebody trying to jam a clove cigarette <laughs> down the back of my throat. It's uh, lit. <laughs> this, <is happening> this. <laughs> this has happened multiple times for Peter. Today. <laughs> and it's an important part of your judging process <laughs> is to have someone jam a clove. It's very specific. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Anybody else? Anything? This is fresh out of the tap in for Croatia. It's amazing. Certainly better. <laughs> it's had a rough journey. <coughs> um, what percent alcohol was this? So pushing it, you're, you're kind of it's, it's crossing over to the the premium pale lager as well. But um, this is, I, I guess, for the for the three A version, it probably should be a little more session, down to the three to four percent kind of alcohol. Um, should have a lot of letters that have infliction marks over it in the name of the beer. That makes it uh, genuine. Yeah. Um, but, okay, let's try the. Do you want to talk about the amber? Oh, we're going to skip over it because we don't have oh, an amber example. You, wait, this is the dark. Oh, okay. So I guess yeah. So in terms of both these two styles, the the premium, the pale, once again, varying degrees of intensity, but kind of getting forward that just a nice, elegant malt profile, and then pushing a bit of the hops in, but not over accentuating the hops. Um, well, the kind of classic example once again, Pilsner Urquell. And uh, should just be a nice, uh, clean malt profile, or sorry, nice pills malt profile. Think maybe a decoction mash on this. Um, very, 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 very clean water. This is maybe a case where you'd want to build up the water from deionized water and um, and kind of work from there. So amber lager basically going to be very similar, but it kind of. Kind of spanning between a uh, Vienna lager and um, uh, 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 pills, but basically taking a little more of the uh, malt character, bringing it in, but also with a relatively, relatively soft water profile. Um, the other kind of key thing to keep in mind for these is you want to have the sod tops for that spiciness um, character. Okay, so now we're moving into what, what's this beer? Check dark water. Oh, no, but what's the actual beer itself? What do you mean? What the name of the beer? Oh, check bar. Check bar. Okay. Okay. So, check dark lager. So, how would people characterize the um, the roasty malt on this? Uh, 
Roasted. Oh, that's a good word. Yeah. Um, <coughs> a little bit of raisin. Raisin, hint of soy sauce, maybe. <coughs> what? Last time somebody told me that beer was like soy sauce. Uh-huh. That's all I tasted. <laughs> Ruin that beer. <laughs> There's a kind of light rubbery um, note to it. I don't know that I'm getting the intense, well, some of the, well, actually, does anybody get cola, maybe, or? Yeah. A little bit. Okay, yeah. you can see cola, yeah. Slight. Okay, I was going to say if anyone got that, but I, I don't get it, but it's close, I think. And yeah, maybe a generic nut shell kind of aspect to it. Hop notes, people get much. It's kind of hard to pull pull anything through. Um, Yeah, it kind of works all in. A really, really deep brown. Probably has a few highlights, garnet highlights in there. Light beige that kind of falls relatively quickly. <coughs> you get in the wrong. Getting some dark fruits, some prune. thing. It, it's definitely nutty mm-hmm. towards the finish. Mm-hmm. Um, Greek nuts good too. Yeah. Like you decided to toast them for another reason. Toasty and roasty, mm-hmm. although there's just a slight roast note maybe up at the top. Yeah, it's just that lightly charred bread crust, but um, but not really charred. Just kind of pushing almost there. I, I kind of like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could like a little slight smoke, even which may be that roasty. Yeah, no, it's smoky. You can smoke a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the clove cigarettes mm-hmm. that keep jamming down my throat. <laughs> I breathe it through, I get a hint of blackberry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, for sure. Yeah. There's still enough bitterness to push it through um, and offset uh, most of the, or the malt fairly well. But it, uh, but it finishes relatively clean. Mm-hmm. There's certainly not the, the ashy... Mm-hmm. Um, Build up, mm-hmm. just sort of. You're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of. I, I like that. I don't. 
Um, moderate, moderate for sure. <clears throat> nice carbonation, about mid range. Yeah. Yeah. Medium high. Mm-hmm. Um. <coughs> I don't really get stringency out of it at all. No. Definitely nothing. Nothing unpleasant for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Oh. Um, so let's see. Well, it's basically kind of the nice dried out version of a dunkel. Um, using a little bit of the spicy kind of hops and yeah, that's kind of pleasant. You like my eyes have been opened up today. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting. Uh, never had that style. It's actually very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I think before it's always been sort of bunched in with short spear. You know, but yeah, it's yeah. When that's <coughs> a good short spear. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's amazing. Yeah. And would this be available at ninety nine bottles? Most definitely. <laughs> Minus the bottles I took. <laughs> yes. So if my local bottle shop were in Federal Way, could I pick this up? You're not thinking no, that I'm trying to give you cups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can. Why, yes. yes, we are the exclusive distributor in Washington yes. State of Tech Bar Dark. Yeah, we have we have a loyalist customer that loves. I've never had this style, but it's very tasty. Yeah. So you should have this style. Oh, I have this style. So uh, moving on to pale, bitter European beer. Category five. So from the angry white people in Europe. Um, well, we don't have a, a light spear, uh, which is basically a light uh, version, sort of like uh, our light logger, uh, the Bud Light uh, from a couple of weeks ago. Um, but basically, it's the German Pilsner um, that's calorie reduced, um, a little lower in alcohol. Yeah, hard, hard to imagine them not sending it over here. Yeah, I can't imagine why it wouldn't. Uh, so yeah, take a Pilsner, a Hellas, drop down the gravity, drop down the bittering a bit as well to, to balance that out. And um, uh, and so Kolsch. Yep. So this is uh, Ninkasi's Kolsch. Kolsch is uh, one of the hybrid um, beers, kind of a ale brewed at a lager temperature. Um, so you'll see a bit more of the. Or, sorry, uh, it's an ale that's fermented a little bit cold, but then lagered. Um, it you know originates from the the Cologne uh, region. Cologne. This is the Hellas. Uh, no, this is a 5B Kolsch. 5B Kolsch. A lot of just almost raw grain notes, raw kind of malt. Very white bread. Maybe a little mineral. Um, and then. Uh, you know, kind of mineral? It's a little sulfur too. I got sulfur. Yeah, sulfur. Yeah. Sulfur. Yeah. Glass, no, it's it's sulfur. <laughs> You're like, was this in the glass that we had the Mercaptan in? Well, I don't. That's a good question. It might be for you and me too. Um, <laughs> and then a kind of a cross between a pear and a, a grape ester. Mm-hmm. 
Lester. Yeah. And the the sulfur aspect is somewhat indicative of the style. Here's a Hawaiian chapter. Yeah, I'm sure Hawaiian. Nondescript white table wine. Yeah. Like white grapes? Mm hmm. It's a beautiful light golden color, but uh, this, this bottle has uh, a moderate haze to it. Yeah. Um. Now, I'm going to just throw this out there. It says in the guidelines authentic commercial versions are filtered to brilliant clarity. It doesn't mean the beer has to be filtered. To a brilliant clarity, okay. Um, you normally expect your colchus to be pretty clear, though. Mm -hmm. I say everyone I had when I was in school was crystal clear. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, just very kind of a virginal white head. Looks very but fell goes on. Nice bready malt note. Mm -hmm. And soft is probably a nice way to put it too. Yeah. Just kind of jumps on the palate and relaxes. Maybe a little green apple. Bitter apple. Yeah. Doesn't quite go to green or bitter for me, but it's there's certainly a, a very light apple. -y. There's a subtle, like, almost borderline crab apple. Yeah. Yeah. Crab apple? Crab apple? Crab apple. Crab apple. It's kind of a crab apple. Fairly robust bitterness mm -hmm. and sort of a floral. Hot flavor, but that's sort of indistinct for me. Yeah, the floral is a good way to go. Um, and then the weird thing is, it kind of works with that winey note too. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> a little bit of sulfur still in there as well. How would you characterize the mineral aspects? See, in terms of like, I feel like the, the mineral slash dry white table wine, mm -hmm. it's, it's, that's what the Sunny finish is for me. kind of <laughs> minerally notes. Yeah, even, even drier than that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's not really metallic. It's mm -hmm. just, it's earthy. <clears throat> Chalk and uh, yeah. earth and, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, Yeah, balance. Well, it's it's got just a nice kind of balance to it too, in terms of having that real good, nice malt profile with a with a firm bitterness to back it up. And maybe for me, it just pushes a little into the forefront, but at the very finish. Um, moderate light body. Moderate carbonation. No creaminess. 
No, no real warming. Master <laughs> Nancy. Just an interesting expression of, well, once again, putting sulfur into a nice place in yeah. terms of integrating it and kind of recreating a wine note, of, I guess, out of the beer. Um, bringing forward those interesting esters, bringing that apple kind of character in. Um, so once again, lager, basically what should be a lager, but fermented with an alias. So you see some more of that interesting kind of fruity notes from the, the yeast come into the beer, which otherwise would just been, have been nice and clear, um, but then still kind of held at a nice lager um, profile. She usually calls for a special, the, the kind of the... Uh, a coal sheast for it, but otherwise should be using a nice pale pills malt or something like that. Um, noble hops are, uh, the German hops are, are pretty traditional for this, and occasionally, or people will use wheat in this as well, which may lead, lend itself to a little bit of um, haze, but um, yeah, just a nice kind of a expressed light beer. Up next is DAB Exports, so we're moving into the Hellas so, Export beer. Yeah, so this is what used to be called Dortmunder Export, uh, but is now the German Hellas Export beer. Um, so Dortmund um, had some fairly strong mineral character in the water, um, so in particular with sulfates, um, carbonates, and chlorides, so we might taste... Excuse uh, me, what kind of study is it? Sorry? What kind of stuff? This is 5C German Hellas Export beer. Oh. <coughs> I got corn. Corn. Corn? It's only like butter dry. or dry bread. Yeah. Like dry corn. Yeah, it's barbecue corn. <laughs> so in, in terms of the bring a little bit of. It's like that sweet. I get it. Uh, mm -hmm. Grilled corn. Yeah. Honey and uh, apple. Yeah, the the hop character on this is definitely not showing, but the malt effects are. I'm having a hard time seeing this. Not the uh, idea, but. <laughs> I mean, very, very grainy. I'm almost not even pushing to real bread, just really just grain. Well, I do say this can have a low background note of DMS. Mm -hmm. Cool, it's background. Yeah, no, it's, it's sort of a weird conglomeration of... Uh, it's dancing on the stage pretty... <laughs> yeah, no, it's just sort of an odd combination, at least for me, of mm -hmm. uh, that's certainly not getting any minerally or sulfur character. Mm -hmm. the aroma. <clears throat> Very light in color. Yeah. Straw. Dark straw. It's clear. Brilliantly clear. Yeah. Um, it's a light clover honey. There's still some sweet corn in there as well. Mm -hmm. 
flavor is notably spicy. Mm-hmm. And the bitterness just push, push it up enough to, to balance. Would you call that like no hypertension or just? Yeah, that felt really fast and it's a really thin partial yeah. ringer of the, I wouldn't call it a ring, crescent moon, um, around the glass. It finishes with still a little more of that corn. Now, can, can anyone get any mineral notes or not? Which, what would you call it, carbonate or would you call it? Because it's it's mineraliness almost comes through as dryness. I mean, it's dry mm-hmm. at the very end. Uh, it, it wasn't as <coughs> strong as I had uh, as I expected it to be. I thought it would be a lot more sulfate mm-hmm. going on, but it's definitely got that sulfate bitterness. Mm-hmm. Just not as much as I thought. Yeah. I feel more of like the mineral almost more on my teeth mm-hmm. like taste it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. It's certainly not in the flavor so much as the aftertaste. Mm-hmm. And it's so that there's like a it comes across peppery for me a little bit, like combined with the hop. You know, so it's just a this faint warming. Mm-hmm. There's some some alcohol is high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they brew this one, let's, so I don't know what this the can says. It can be up to 6%. Okay. Yeah, I think that using your teeth descriptor is a pretty good way to go on that. Yeah. It's probably bicarbonate binding with the calcium on your teeth. Um, <laughs> is, that, is that good? I don't know. Yeah. I think we're in trouble. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, once again, it should be a kind of a, a okay, mostly a Pilsner base based on this. This is one where you might want to toy around a bit with the uh, water profile to get into the range. Um, Working with the, the kind of the, the classic noble hops uh, to to get that light floral and spicy note in there, um, and then just a, kind of your normal lager yeast fermentation. I don't know. You wouldn't want to use a decoction mash probably with this because um, you're probably getting a little too much malt character going forward to as compared to being nice and light and crisp. Um, but yeah, just a kind of a mineral accentuated beer and. This is one that home brewers will, will over mineralize. Yeah. Um. Okay. Up next, uh, we got 5D German fills, and the example is Bitburger. Bitburger. So basically, the German knockoff of the uh, Czech pills, um, and the major difference in terms of the way things are going to be expressed is going to be the, as a result of the water profile pushing um, a few different characters a little forward um, compared to what we saw with the check pills. 
and different alt profile or sorry, different um, uh, pop profile probably as well. So comparing back to the check pills, maybe a little richer malt profile, a little deeper in terms of the um, I don't need to the complexity of just I mean, it's, it's grain but pushing into an interesting read, but a little skunky in mine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm only getting graham cracker if I think about it. I was trying to decide whether it was just crackery or graham cracker. Yeah, that's um, but that's certainly the direction it's heading for me. Mm -hmm. um, there's sort of that just classic Pilsner malts uh, aroma. Um, very light graham cracker. Yeah. Not too deep. I wouldn't call it toasted graham cracker, just graham cracker. A little bit darker than our uh, Hellas Export beer. Brilliant clarity. And for the hot profile on the aroma, people get much more in just light floral and spice. It's about it. It's pretty light, it's pretty light yeah. See, the initial push for me is a whole bunch of just Pilsner, I mean, just once again, like you're saying, just Pilsner malt. Um, well, there's a honey characteristic mm -hmm. to it as well. Um, okay, but the malt moves through first, and yeah. then eventually it kind of works its way into the bitterness. Right. Um, and that little spicy kind of uh, floral note to it. it in particular, the finish. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a rose hip mm -hmm. floral to try to. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are things, right? Mm -hmm. Rose mm -hmm. hips? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> After you eat your clothes, you eat rose hips. So wash that down. <clears throat> I have a very weird diet. Yeah, that's good. You should be doing these things to be a judge. Um, Maybe a little more of the cracker as well. Works its way through. Yeah. And I feel like there's a whole bunch of crackers you can even call out. It's, I'm waiting. I'm, try, I'm trying to think. Of, I'm, th I'm trying to think of the box that, uh, that I'm opening. Okay, which is that's not trusty. No, throw that away. Um. <laughs> it's it's just a, like a, a homemade, you know, very simple flat cracker. Uh, Water cracker. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm? Um. Light sulfur, though. 
Yeah. Yeah, and it lingers yeah. with you. Yeah. Right, is it H2S or? I think it's probably H2SO4. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> well, sulfide versus that. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> it's H2S. Oh, oh definitely. Okay. It doesn't. Well, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> But it's still fairly light, but nice smooth carbonation to it. So, like you said, the German answer to the, the Czech Pilsner, um, but with their uh, higher uh, higher mineral, mineral content, content water. Which um, expressed the malt a little more, which expressed the sulfate or the hops a little more. A little more bitter. A little coarser, I guess, overall. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> probably similar to the Czech. Phil uh, is going to use a decoction to kind of end that little, add that little roundness to the beer. Um, should be using just uh, Belgian malt again, using some noble hops, uh, and then just a nice kind of clean lager fermentation. Um, comparing once again back to the Czech pills, should be a little more, I guess, overall aggressive, um, and compared to, well, I guess, I don't know if I'm less reliant on adjuncts, or non-reliant on adjuncts. These could be, too, I mean, looking at the commercial examples, I'll spare all of you my lecture on German pills, thank God, um, but if you taste, if you look at the commercial examples, this is a style that if I ever win a medal for this, I quit. I move on to something else. Um, but Bitburger and Rotterburger have been kind of dumbed down over the last couple of years. But if you get your hands on a Schoenrammer pills, which you can find in Portland, or a um, Pivo from uh, Firestone Walker, to me, that is more of the pills that you get in Germany. So very hot, flavorful, aromatic. Whereas Bitburger, um, in Germany, has been kind of made the Budweiser listeners. So I would encourage you to uh, to experiment with the different levels. Pivo is a great example of just amazingly flavorful, um, aromatic, uh, hoppy. But not to put that out of style if you're judging it, because that's really what a German. German <laughs> Which one do you use? Uh, Fresh in the glass. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So you all should start traveling to become better judges. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to move up to uh, category 10, or family 10, which is going to be the German wheat beers. Um, and what's going to define, uh, apart from wheat, what's going to define some of these styles is the unique yeast strain um, for, for uh, wheat fermentations that's going to kick in that uh, banana clove characteristic to this. Um, so we're starting out with the 10A by Spear. Right, what's the example? Uh, this is Hacker Shore. Hacker Shore. Spear. Okay. Okay, so who gets, what are the, the phenols that people get up front? Uh, bananas. Banana chip, maybe, even in particular for me. Um, yeah. Banana candy. Banana candy? It's like that old school banana, but it's Okay. 
question. What was that candy? <laughs> uh, it's it's no, it's like it's that two name banana. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like when it was stinks in the fifties. You're too young for that. <laughs> <laughs> Your parents are too young for that. <laughs> and they replaced it with the new banana. Do you like the um, peanuts? Have you ever seen those? They're kind of like the yeah, soft yeah. candy. That's yeah. Kind of, yeah. So it's like a lot of banana. Like banana like like yeah. Yeah. Okay. Banana. Okay. Yeah. When it's I got a little bubble gum up front. Bubble I'm gum. still getting a little bubble gum, uh, dried bubble gum uh, underneath. Yeah. Like baseball card bubble gum? Yeah. Yeah. Are those, are those gone now too? Baseball card gum? Probably. Okay. Not as much clove. Kind of have to think about it for a sec to, to really pull it. So basically they say it can have varying amounts, but the best examples of the style are fairly well balanced between the clove and the banana aspect, so just keep that in mind uh, mm -hmm. when you're judging. Yeah. It's sort of an overripe mashed banana. Yeah, yeah, it's getting a little dirty. Um, then you get this just kind of a weedy, br breadish note behind it. White, not really toasted as much. Yeah, just like someone who just ripped the straight whites out and threw it at you. <laughs> and then asked you, did you know what that? I like the bubble gum, I like the. There, and a hint of vanilla, too. So, one of the. Uh, this is our first style that technically is when they really allowed to have haze. Uh, probably. Yeah. And this is one where people will probably mark it down if it doesn't have a haze to it. Um, but, yeah, kind of lightly golden yellow head <coughs> should last for a while. And I guess compared to the bunch of ones we've had earlier, this one's not just sticking around in the ring. It's, for me, a film across the top. Um, that's part of what's coming out of the proteins from the wheat. Get that right banana, banana chip again in terms of the, the bread expression. Yeah, that's. I don't get it as a flavor so much. That's sort of the clove phenol. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get it in the finish a lot. I feel like that's where it's most present. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, it's it's bubble gum. Mm -hmm. um, definitely not the mashed banana I was getting in the, in the nose. Much more banana. Chip. No, it moved back into the chip. Anyway, the vanilla just sticks around at the very end of just breathing afterwards. Yeah. Um, but it's it's fairly soft underneath the banana. When you're judging, do you um, get to kind of pick and choose which categories? Like, what happens if you get a style that, like, I hate this style here. Absolutely makes me want to vomit. Um, so if I had to judge it, I would be colored by my just hatred of this style. <laughs> So, so coming soon to Airways. Huh? Exactly. Coming soon to Airways. <laughs> Alex F. Um, 
You, most competitions will let you submit um, preferences in terms of like, hey, I'd like to judge this or I don't judge this. And, um, and a lot of times you may want to make those really well known if you're, I, I really can't judge this and feel objective about this. From a judging perspective, you should be able to somehow pull your head out of the mud and say, with regards to the way that I hate this style, this is a perfectly well-executed version of a style that I my, hate. My hatred is great for this beer, ergo it must be good. Yeah. Did it make me want to um, yeah. <laughs> it did, but it's just like the best examples out there. It, it helps can, if you, can you have, say um, I'm not judging because I don't like it. So no, you you need you would need to really you would want to do that before you start judging. Okay, like if you know that you're going to be judging German wheats and they assign you German wheats, try to address it as early as possible. They may tell you to go suck eggs and um, generally, as, as long as you don't have a lot of different preferences. Like if if wheats are it. But if you're the guy who's only going to judge brown porters that, uh, you know, come from brewers with last names that start with vowels, they're gonna be, you're going to be hard up. But yeah. you know, if you say, you know, hey, I can't do yeah. X, then and it generally gets known. And, uh, yeah. But by all means, tell people. Yeah. And in the worst case, tell the other judges so that they're well, or well aware of kind of your... Your bias, and they may be able to help provide. I can't imagine a situation where the if you went, oh, I really don't like that. The, that they couldn't find be someone fixed, else. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. before you sat down to, to judge. Mm-hmm. So this will be considered a last period stop. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something changed for me in the last twenty years. Why is that? Would like this one? Um, Way back when, one of the best beers I had was with spicy Chinese food in Salzburg, and it was a vice beer in a big tall glass, and now I just... You know, hate Chinese food? Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Chinese food in Salzburg. It was really good. Um, this style just... Yeah. So, I mean, the beer, moderate body, um, but you get a hint of a creaminess um, out of it with the, the carbonation and the extra kind of dextrous uh, pins in there. Um, but um, by German rule, should be fifty percent wheat, malted wheat. Um, probably you're gonna maybe use it, or you're gonna use some Pilsner malt for the rest, concoction mash to to bring up some of that body in the mouthfeel, and then you get the critical ingredient is using uh, the um, the Hefeweizen or the Weizen yeast um, to to give all those interesting banana and fermenting at temperatures that. Elicit as much of the banana versus the clove that you want to achieve out of the beer. All right, what do we have? This is a uh, Dunkel Weizen. So this is a uh, Weihenstefaner uh, Dunkel Weizen. So 10B Dunkel Weizen. So we're we're boosting up the malt profile in terms of some color and flavor um, profiles, but still keeping that um, the yeast profile maybe just uh, about uh, as strong um, in terms of. Uh, alcoholic strength, but uh, very, very similar to the half, yeah, uh, just from the interesting ball. Roma's a little subdued by the um, the nice moosey head initially.
There's a sort of caramel note, so you sort of caramelized banana. That's a There's that sweet tangy. Slightly sourish <clears throat> kind of note to it. And in a bunch of these wheat beers, there is <clears throat> sometimes an acceptable amount of sourness um, that can carry itself through. Near as much of the banana and uh, clove punch as the previous. Really more of a delicate, toasty, bready, and then that sweet kind of area that went into the caramel. I get clove more than banana, though. Yeah. I'm having trouble finding the, the clove. I just get some sweet banana. Mm -hmm. Is fostering? Yeah. Like a student. Maybe a hint of gumball. You know, the hard shell? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The light, sweet, candy note. Copperish range. That layer of lightly beige bubbles that sticks around across the top after the head that stuck around for a while, at least for me. Yeah. Toasty bread crust. Candied banana. Candied banana. Like sugary ish. Yeah. I still get the clove in the finish. Yeah. The gumball again. <clears throat> Just a lightly dried wheat bread. Kind of almost a little stalish. <clears throat> really restrained bitterness, but and it almost pushes a little into the sweet area for me more than I'd like I'd like a little more hop character to at least support that. But yeah, it should be really low. But yeah, I mean the, the toastier malts give it a more of a for candyish mm -hmm. sweetness uh, than the uh, than the, uh, the the Weiss. Mm -hmm. Where does this end up with for other people? What's the dominating characters? All that stuff you said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Say caramel and banana. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's. 
It's definitely not banana chip with this one. It's just this kind of something's happening this banana that's stewing a bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's more like sprinkled with sugar and then torched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by lightning torch. Brulee. Brulee, yes. The last few beers, the combination starting to kind of... You're going to be in Yes. Um. <laughs> um. Plus, I really, really don't like bananas. Yeah. So. <coughs> so, yeah, these... Well, a little more on the banana side overall for the two of these averaging. Just this one picked up a little more of that clove. Um, but not a ton, and largely in the finish again. You know, um, once again, similar to the half in terms of the the malt mill buildup, except you had in a little more. You had Munich maybe instead of using pills. Um, some of them may end up using some specialty malts to add a little extra color. Um, probably going to use a decoction again to get some of that nice smell feeling um, and work with the kind of your overall. All profile and acid balance and everything, proteins. Um, just once again, interesting balance of bread profiles as well as um, some of that yeast character. KP. Alright. Next, we're going to move into the Tennessee Weizenbach, and it's, is this Aventinas? Yes. Or? Okay. Aventinas. Um, so now we're going to be pushing, we're basically doing the wheat beer equivalent of a Bach. Um, so getting up into that 6 to 9% alcohol range. This is dialing in it. I'm going to go what? 7.5 or 8? 8.2. 8.2, okay. Um, um, and trying to carry a little bit of that dark character into it. Probably another beer that's going to be decocted and um, maybe pull out some interesting fruit. Dark fruit notes. Little flat in the nose. Sorry? What's that? Stale bread. Stale bread? Okay. Speak up. There are no wrong. And very boozy. Reminds me of a streetcar station in Germany, in my mom's hometown. What hometown was that? Okay, Ludwigsen Street Car Station. You said there's no, no <laughs> Standing there waiting for the room ready for the transit. Had a creosote. Upside down. Yeah. Little, little uh, railway sleeper. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like there's some dark, dark fruit roots in yeah. there, but it's yeah. like dark fruit. In a plastic container that's poorly shut, like it's just—it's there, but it's hard to yeah. get. There's plum and there's. I dare you Maybe hints of grape nuts, but. But there's just that light jam. That's sweet. So there's a little bit of banana going on with this. Yes, I can. Yes, you can. 
it's certainly changing as it was yeah, in yeah. my you know. I get a little bit of alcohol. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sort of a light perfumey note. Here's a like kind of a faint chocolate-covered dark fruitish note, maybe. Oh, but it's a, a milkish chocolate. Uh, so I'm thinking there's a light smoke. Okay. Maybe a raisin egg. Maybe I'm just thinking raisin egg. Raisin that sounds really good. <coughs> Do we want to get some? Show? <laughs> no, just just that. That okay. was that was spot on. So this is. Dark copper, brilliant clarity. <clears throat> Decent foamy head. Nice. film across the top. This must be the right thing. Kind of. But I don't want to give you too much. I still feel like there's just like smoking it. Hints of clover, um, more in the breeding and afterwards, and then that little hint of banana too. Yeah, not not much. No, not much. It's just the once again the aftertaste dish. It's <laughs> going down. <laughs> kind of note to it. Some of that vegetal green character to it that uh, that lingers like a uh, fairly dry unoaked chardonnay. Mm -hmm. 
certainly much more focused on the malt than the, uh, uh, the banana and the clove. Uh, but they call for it to be moderately low. You know, basically they're using that same yeast, but hey, that's not the focus. Yeah, barely enough hops to make it like non or quenchable. Um, def- a nice moderately full full body. Um, well attenuated. Mm-hmm. So a bit of a robust malt profile for this. I'm going to be using some a bunch of Munich. Um, I think probably 50% yeast again, or sorry, 50% wheat. Um, Vienna, um, maybe a couple specialty malts, maybe to get some color, but not too much. Decoction to add some of that great malt feel. Um, and then the, the, your wheat yeast to really tweak out the spicy characters. but. Um, the last two plus expression of that and the first. <clears throat> All right, and now we're moving pale American now. Right? Yep. Okay. Rinse your mouth. Um, and we're going to move into the category 18 American ale. So, uh, core core differences. Obviously, now we're going to be a, a bit more hops, um, but also going to be moving into a, a slightly different yeast profile. Um. All right, so we're starting out with ATA blonde ale. This is uh, Paradise Creek Poker Face Blonde. Thank you. 
Quite haze, but yeah. Do you need more? But, no, I think I'm good. You're good. Right. Bright copper, deep amber. Kind of reminds me of like a flint stone spider. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very fruity. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that cardboard note. Uh, strawberry. Mm-hmm. Strawberry really holds. While, while you have it in your mouth, it really the strawberry note really kicks in. It's not even just in the finish; it's it's kind of like sitting around. It's almost like and artificial strawberry. Yes, yes, it's, 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 it's like the dry. Well, or the dried strawberry and cereal too. Like you get a yeah. bowl of total with cereal. I don't know what when or with strawberries. And yeah, that kind of unhappy strawberry. Why did you use this to me, strawberry? Yeah. Starburst, strawberry, starburst. <laughs> Hot profiles, I mean, just that. Well, the hot profile's mixing so much with the ester profile yeah. for me. Yeah, it's just tough for me to separate out any mm-hmm. sort of pop character versus yeah. just very yeah. fruity, fruit I, salad. I really do like the the the, <clears throat> the vitamin reference. That's yeah. a that's kind of a nice way to look back at it. Sweet, that kind of sticks. The bitterness does stick around for a little while after, though, too. Yeah, can't get it out of my mouth. Yeah, it's like kind of sticks on the top and on my palate. It's it's sweet, almost borderline cloyingly sweet. Yeah, and it just stays there. Mm -hmm. It should be noted that the Kawanda Cream Ale we had two weeks ago is an example of this style. Rather than a cream ale. Just wanted to clarify that. Uh, I'm finding all sorts of fun stuff as I work my way through the new guidelines. What do you guys mean when you say cloyingly sweet? Just kind of that overly heavy. Oh, okay. Like yeah, <laughs> like syrup, breakfast syrup is cloyingly sweet. Oh, okay. You know that 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 there's just so much sucrose in it. That, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, an interesting kind of marriage of some phenol or sorry, semesters as well as some of the just the white top character to it. But um, and then the kind of the that sweet malt character that comes through. And I mean, the Blondale is kind of the one of the backbones of the craft brewing industry back from the day in terms of trying to get in with something light um, to appease the the Pilsner drinkers and still have something that they can produce in a but, but the house, yeah, and get through within two or three weeks. Um, so pale ale malt background or backbone, and then maybe just some other malts to kind of add some other interesting characters into there. Um, just trying to get, trying to hold back as much of the, bring just a slight amount of the ester profile in, but 
Um, trying to make it as light as possible. And then we have 18B, American Pale Ale, and what do we have for that? Uh, this is Grunion Pale Ale from uh, the brewery who's on that bottle, Ballast Point. <laughs> the brewery from the place with the, from the beer. Is it from those people that make beer? Yes, yeah. yes, oh, they yeah. have beer there. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. They're canning cocktails now. Yeah. That sounds dangerous. Because they have like old spirits one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, they've got the... So we're going to be looking for something that's a relatively kind of crisp malt profile with a, well, in this case, a metric crap ton of hop aroma, um, but something that's going to have a, a, a bunch of hops and express American hops in particular. It's a metric crap ton. Oh, yeah. Because we're international at BJCP. Yeah. Metric. This, this, I would, I would it just initially, if I was judging this, I would probably hammer this right away for... That is a IPA-ish level of pop aroma. Which, however, that being said, it's enjoyable. Um, it's going to be moderate to strong. I know, this is... Well, that weenie German stuff is really... Grapefruit? Grapefruit, onion. Oh, yeah. Morning grapefruit. Yeah, pink grapefruit, probably, in particular. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's good. That would go up more than a little. Yeah. <laughs> a, a lot um, of onion garlic. Yes. Uh, Most of the sweaty. Yes. 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 I would guess mosaic and oil, which gives it so a mosaic or a simple. It's got to be very sweaty. Quite decent yeah. Simcoe yeah. present. Yeah. Is there Simcoe? They, they, they I have no idea. Okay. I just, maybe they have a box There's of Simcoe in their cold storage. Right, not Simcoe, but Summit. Your favorite. There's, I always get kind of a, a melon rind dish note on some of these, um, but like the rind itself. Um, I was, and then now it's kind of stinky. No, they've, they've sent the onions to the sun. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be next to this guy on the bus. <laughs> it's pretty hard to pull off a little, or pull out the malt back from behind this. Um, Other than noting it's there. Yeah. Like, like, there's a little sweetness underneath. There's there's a perfume note that's almost just like an alcoholic perfume. Um, it's almost like a jasmine. Um, yeah. And what are the any fruits that people get for esters? Slight pear. Yeah, I don't pear if anything. Pear that was covered with hops. <laughs> My favorite kind of pear. <laughs> how the what? How did? Never mind. <laughs> I'm looking ahead. You're cheating. I am. This is seriously their top commercial. Yeah. Oh, you're good. Yeah, that was. Yeah. 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 Yeah
During the, the flavor, garlic, onion, resin. Um, it is doing an exquisite job of showcasing hot flavor and yeah. aroma. Yeah. It is just not the hot flavor and aroma that I find desirable. Yeah. Be pretty good with Italian food. Pink grapefruit, like you said again. Yeah. Still a lot of mm -hmm. lot of onion. And the bitter peel of the grapefruit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Could it be done by over carbonation? The uh, the onion? Yeah. No, it tends to be it tends to be a, a hop character that uh, I think late harvesting yeah. certain varieties <laughs> that uh, that really put it out. Uh, like Summit, I know, is one that, that can really be really oniony uh, and garlicky. Just so, is there anyone do cold hops in our yes. experience? Uh, Alex probably has. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's not so, first of all, this one, I don't know which category, this one ain't gold medal at GBF. Yes, it is. Um, I don't know where. And that may or may not have influenced what style. Um, no then, specialty. Uh, number two, it is Calypso <laughs> and Mosaic. Mm. Nailed it. I actually really like how the onion and garlic works with the rest of the beer. <laughs> I bet you with food, this would be yeah. really yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful showcase of the hops. Just a hint of bread in the back. Not really any caramel. Um, I think I can taste carapils. That's not it. Yeah, yeah. Um, any other notes on this, or? This one gold is an American style pale ale. There you go. Invalidates everything about last year. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, this is definitely what I would call a very, very firm American pale ale. Um, it may hold up very well on a BOS panel by virtue of having flavor to last for days. Um, this is, to, for me, pushing into the session IPA ish. Well, I think, that, I mean, at least the way the 2015 is defined, I mean, mm -hmm. it's basically six of one, half dozen of the other. Yeah. Um, so. But remember, the BA guidelines are slightly different, well, yeah, significantly yeah. different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So, pale ale malt, maybe a smattering of specialty malt to add some sort of a backbone to it, and then obviously a bunch of um, American hops. To add the citrus, the pine, the resin, the garlic, the onion, all the, those kind of characters. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Okay? Okay, so that wraps up this week. Um, next week, uh, we're moving into, let's see, hops, pretty much hops. We'll go through a little. Um, Kind of a back through of the overall judging process again. And then we're going to go into British bitters so we can get some of that kind of uh, British um, style of hops. And then Hill Commonwealth beer. And I don't know if you did you find any of those. One. Okay. And maybe talk about the Australian hops and then IPAs. And we're going to go through 20 of those. And. Um, and then, actually, if, if anyone does have an IPA that they want to bring in, too, that they, they brewed as well, we can talk about that, too. Oh, okay. But um, if you guys want to drop, if you guys have score sheets you filled out that you want evaluation on, um, we can take those tonight. Uh, make sure your name's on them. 
Um, but uh, any other questions or wrap up? Okay, I think we should begin. Somebody volunteer to stand with Alex behind the uh, the counter here and uh, help wash glasses and whatnot. <laughs> 